Hello, Mr. Jones. Hello. How are you? I smell like citronella. You do. Our whole car smells like citronella. Because I have been outdoors. You have been outdoors. I posted something on Instagram about this evening's activities. And our friend Kathy Harrison Toronto said, were you actually outside or is this a photo from Periscope? <laughs> and I was like, no. It's a decent it was, question. <laughs> it was my, you know, once a year visit outside. It's true. And I was the one that was ready to leave. And you were like still, you know, chatting it up with people and whatnot. But that's because I was empowered by s'mores. You were. I'll go outside for chocolate and marshmallows. Okay, I'll keep that in mind. Well, welcome everybody to episode 62 of Keeping Up with the Joneses. <laughs> Keeping Up with the Joneses. There's no jingle, ever. Oh. You know one of the things we didn't talk about, what? to my memory? I have an itch. I'm worried it's a tick. It probably is. Oh dear. It's burrowing into your skull right no, now. No, don't say that. You're no. going to have to check me for ticks later. <laughs> Why is it when I said earlier today that you're going to have to check me with ticks? You shuddered. <laughs> but you expect me to check you for ticks and it'll be totally normal. You would like that t- type of thing. <laughs> Just admit it. <laughs> Any excuse to, <laughs> to pretend I'm a doctor. Perfect. I've got a lab coat, tweezers, and I've even got one of those LED like flashlights that go on your head. Oh boy, I can hardly wait. <laughs> anyway, have we talked about your paleo naan bread? We haven't talked about my paleo naan bread. Talk about it right now because it was amazing. Well, I made two recipes. One was the paleo naan bread, which has only got three things in it. Coconut milk, tapioca flour, and almond flour. Well, that's four things. Coconut milk, tapioca flour, and oh. almond flour. That's three. But you paused. You said... <laughs> well, coconut math's milk, not really tapioca, your strong suit, though. <laughs> flour, <laughs> almond and, milk. And the pause counted for one. Um, and then you can you could do them like super plain, or you can add things to them. So I added like garlic, salt, and... Some fresh garlic and some basil and whatever to make it like fragrant. Uh, it was so good. And to be fair, they don't taste a thing like proper naan bread, but they are very good. They're amazing. Yeah, really good. And then I made tandoori chicken, which was also very good. It was also paleo. Also paleo. Served over iced cauliflower, mm-hmm. which confused her friend Nathan. <laughs> you <laughs> took a picture of it and said, oh yeah, paleo Indian food. And he's like, that is not paleo food. Uh, but it does look delicious. And we were like, why is it not paleo? He was like, well, paleolithic man, which we don't actually believe in, wouldn't have had access to any of those ingredients. We were like, no, 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 no. We were talking about like a paleo-style paleo diet. diet. And then he said, well, that's actually not paleo because you have rice. And I said, no, I have cauliflower. <laughs> At which point he was like, yummy. Okay. So. But anyway, absolutely delicious. It was very good. I had people who were listening to last week's podcast ask me this week if I got up at, you know, super early and have continued. And I had... Until the middle of the week when I had an early deadline, or no. You stayed up really late at night. That's what I meant. Yeah, I stayed up till one o'clock in the morning to finish it. So there's no way I was getting up four or five hours later. Did not happen. And But here's what I noticed. I didn't feel any better lying in. I felt horrendous. I wish Mm -hmm. I'd gotten up. Mm -hmm. So I'm returning to my getting up early schedule. I think I'm going to try it with you this week. Really? Yes. Okay. Proud parent moment of the week? Yeah. I went to the Apple store to watch my daughter graduate in air quotes, from Apple Camp. Apple Camp. A lot of parents didn't know about this, but every year Apple runs a camp, again in inverted commas. Actually, it's the kind of camping I would love to do. It's <laughs> in an Apple store. <laughs> Why don't they sign me up? That's for your idea a, of camping. Yeah. 
And so they run two kind of workshops each summer for mm-hmm. children eight, I think it's eight to 12. And they, you know, they run three times a week, an hour and a half each day, and the kids get to make their own book, or the kids get to make their own movie, and it was, how would you put it? You mean the actual movie? Mm-hmm. Um, really long. And unedited. Unedited. And, and very linear in nature. Yes, but hysterical, because she managed to film my mother <laughs> rolling down the hill. Who is 80 years old. She, yes, my mother was trying to stop abby in a cart from hitting the fence and at which point she fell over and rolled down the hill but it's that and then about five minutes of just the green hill with no action in it and every once in a while you'd see abby sort of in the top corner throwing a ball or something but nevertheless she wrote her own song garage band she did she imported her own video and i'm just gonna teach her how to edit using imovie but still she got a little award she's eight and she made her own movie yeah i loved it so way to go apple it's very good. So anyway, the reason I'm smelling of citronella was we were outside tonight. Yes. And the reason we were outside tonight was Emanate was hosting a s'mores and volleyball. Yes. And I was very excited about that event, especially about one thing of that event. The volleyball. Apparently. The volleyball, yeah. Yes. I hit a home run. It was uh, amazing. Yeah, I scored a couple of goals yeah. and got a touchdown. You were the quarterback, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It was pretty amazing. People seem to know how to play volleyball. Is that a thing that you're taught in Tennessee? Or? Well, it's not that hard a game. I've never seen it played before. <laughs> okay. Maybe. I don't know. I played it in school, like regular school, gym you, class. You know the rules? Well, I know the school rules. Yeah. Anyway, it was very fun. We had a lot of people come out. Thank you guys for showing up. Hope you had as much fun as we did. And I hope the s'mores were absolutely delicious. I only tried one of the brands of chocolate that we had. The dark chocolate. Yeah, and congratulations to our team for pulling that off. Michelle, you did an incredible job. It was awesome. It was very much fun. All right, would you like to know our topic for this week? Sure. Well, last week we were talking about feelings. Feelings. And no jingles. Sorry. Actually, we should do a jingle episode where you can just sing your heart out. Yeah. Do you want to talk about, before we get to our main topic, what the problem was with you at church this morning? What was the problem w- with me at church Why did I have to keep tapping your leg? Well... I didn't know I was still singing. (laughs) You were repeatedly breaking out into song all morning while Pastor Jeff was speaking. Breaking out into song is probably putting it a little... No, you were singing out loud. It was quiet. It was not quiet. It was quiet. You weren't even aware you did it. I know, but if it was loud, I would have noticed. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's that song got in my head. It was a great song. It was a fantastic Our friend Michaela McLeod was in town. Yes. And did an awesome job leading worship. Yes. And it just, that song got in my head. Which song was it? I'll put a link to it in the show notes. I can't remember now. And then I won't put a link in the show notes. (laughs) I think it was the new Sarah McMillan song. You are good. Yeah. Oh, oh, that one. You are good. Okay, very good. Yeah, that one. That one. I'll try and find it. And then put a link to it in show notes. Our topic for this week. Uh-huh. Last week we talked about feelings. Feelings. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> feelings not managed well can lead to confusing conversations, which more often than not leads to conflict. Yes. And I want to talk about resolving conflict. Yes. Why do I want to talk about resolving conflict this week? Because we've had a lot of conflict <laughs> this week. Well, the... The, the weather system for us to have conflict 
was perfectly conducive for that environment. It is well situated. You are in absolute agony with your shoulder. I am. And as a result, are not sleeping. Correct. Right. And you might not be the friendliest version of yourself at this particular season. That's probably fair. Right. And then, or most gracious or forgiving. Well, I, anyway, let's move on. <laughs> and then I had a really busy week at work, which led me to the 1 a.m. star, which meant I didn't sleep. And on the day when our conflict started, the odds were stacked against us. We're both tired, grumpy. We didn't eat well. We weren't exercising. And so it was just... And you're mourning the loss of your mother. And I'm mourning the loss of my mother. Yeah, let's throw that in there too. And w- but what that means is we're not really extending as much grace as we might typically. Correct. And it's important to understand that conflict isn't bad. Right. In and of itself. It isn't bad. It's just a means to getting somewhere. Right. But if you've been raised in a family where conflict is seen as bad, or perhaps your version of conflict was really, really bad, mm-hmm. or perhaps you've been raised in a family where you just shove everything down so there's no conflict, you could end up somewhere along the lines with thinking that conflict is something to avoid. Yeah. But that actually produces the weirdest byproducts ever. Because if you if you think that conflict is something to be avoided, you start avoiding certain topics of a conversation, you start withdrawing from people that you love, you start hiding your feelings, which in turn is actually communication, is just really bad communication, which will inevitably produce the very thing that you're trying to avoid, which is conflict. Right. Fortunately, that's not the way we do life. <laughs> Neither of us are particularly built to do that. No. Which means... We're quite good at doing healthy conflict, generally speaking. Okay. I would say this week wasn't a great example of us doing healthy conflict. No. Well, what would you say about this week in our conflict? I would say normally we try and look at, before we even end up in a conflict, we're trying to look at what the other person's perspective might be and to extend grace. Right. Where this week I would say neither of us did that. We just I would got agree. mad. Yeah. So normally, if we're hurt by, you know, something, you know, either I said or you said or, you know, did or something, we would usually just respond with, hey, babe, can I take a moment just to share? I felt really hurt when, and, ex- and explain it. We, you know, hey, I thought that was kind of an unfair thing, and I'm feeling quite hurt by that. We just express it, probably at that sort of level. Mm-hmm. This week, not so much. No. It was more, Row! Because we yes, were... Yes, and then angry texts. <laughs> you know what? Conflict resolution over text message? Mm-hmm. Not a great idea. No. No, it never works. And but then, at least I didn't text in all caps. <laughs> I was just about <laughs> to say. Texting in all caps or using sarcastic emoji, not my finest hour of communication. No. But we got through it. Yes. When, when I'm hurt, I find that I'm demotivated to connect to the person that hurt me. But I actually, you know, I've come to realize that's a complete fallacy. If I'm demotivated to connect with you, that's actually a really, really powerless statement. Because I'm basically saying by that action, you have control of the quality of this relationship. Like Mm -hmm. you've hurt me, so I'm now demotivated to stay connected to you. Like the only way this can be fixed is if you unhurt me. And that's like, ludicrous but when you're 
hurt, when you're tired, when you're grumpy. That seems perfectly logical. You are a big meanie, and I'm going to stay over here and defend myself. And when you're ready to apologize, you can come over here. Right. Talk about passive powerlessness. And in case you haven't got the message, I'll just lob insults at you to get your attention. And my insults actually <laughs> <Or texts>. mean <laughs> my insults actually mean please come and rescue me. I am poor and I'm defenseless and I am weak. Mm-hmm. But that's absolute nonsense. We're very powerful people. We're creating God's image. We have an abundance of resources to kind of bridge the gap back to prioritizing connectedness. Right. The truth is, both of us, we have plenty of power. It's just typically that when we're hurt, we don't want to use the power that will be helpful. Right, we want to use the other one. (laughs) (laughs) And the power that's helpful is meekness and humility. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about connectedness. Okay. When we do our marriage preparation, we talk about most people plan their wedding but never plan their marriage. Right. So most people put in all the effort to planning a day and then give comparatively little thought to what happens after the day. Right. And what we've decided that the most important thing in our life, the biggest priority for you and I is our connectedness. Mm -hmm. And by connectedness, I mean the free flow of love, affection, value, honor between the two of us. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't really matter what else is going on in life as long as that connectedness is strong. Yes. And we have learned through trial and error that that is the most important thing in life. And so we guard that very, very closely. Conflict, however, is a barrier to connectedness. Because when when you and I have a conflict, or when I'm hurt or offended or I feel misunderstood, those feelings that I'm feeling, that you don't care, that blah, 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 you know, whatever the lies that come tumbling, they actually have to be less important than our connectedness. Right. The trouble is... Those feelings of hurt, empowered by the enemy, are going to vie for the priority. So the priority suddenly drops from being connected to me being right or justified mm-hmm. or making sure you understand how badly I hurt, which, you know, is pathetic. Mm-hmm. You know, the enemy would just love to convince you that being right is more important than being in relationship. Yeah. But actually, true, authentic connectedness is the ultimate priority in our in our marriage right talk about let's ignore this week because it was rough but talk about and we shouldn't say this week was rough two of the days two of the moments of two days that was full of conflict i can't even remember what the earlier one in the week was so leaving this week aside yeah what is our normal strategy for coping with when conflict arises well We don't have enormous amount of conflict usually. Right. I mean, certainly not as much as we did, you know, early in in our marriage or whatever. So I think we mostly agree on most things now. And if we don't, then we just say that. Like, I mean, I, I would think there's several times, like as we're driving to work or wherever, where you or myself will say, yeah, I... I totally don't agree with that, but we can just talk about it. And it's okay that we, because the purpose of connectedness is not to ensure that we both agree with each other. Yeah. The purpose of connectedness is to make sure that we understand each other's point of view. Right. And that gives you huge freedom to be individual people. Mm -hmm. What about when 
we, one or the other of us, will rule by some powerless means of communication. Logic, reasoning, a raised voice. Uh, I don't want to talk about it anymore. How do you detangle that mess? I don't know. Usually pray and take care of your own part Mm -hmm. with God and then kind of wait for an opening. It depends on on which one of us is sort of doing the hurt and and sabotage thing and which one of us is doing the wait for the other person thing. Do you want to talk about the conversation that we had early on in marriage with the Holy Spirit but didn't realize the other person was having the same conversation with the Holy Spirit and was being equally as frustrated? (laughs) Sure. Go on then. Well, we when we used to have arguments when we first got married, um, we would both sort of just separate and go and have time chatting with the Lord. And the Holy Spirit would always take the other person's side with both of us. Right. So I'd go and complain like, Lord, you know, this woman you put here with me, blah, 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 blah. And the Lord would always defend you and hold me accountable for my words. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, are you kidding me? Did you not hear when she said da 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 and then the Lord would say, yeah, but Alan, I don't hold you accountable for what AJ said. I hold you accountable for what you said. And I would think that was so unfair until... Yeah, until you until we talked one time and just realized that he was doing the same thing with me. <laughs> like, just like, so what about this that's going on with you right now? And what about this thing in your heart? Well, that's not very pretty, is it? And whatever. And I'd be like, oh. And that's the super important message that Danny Silk shared with us. That you can't control anyone, but on a good day, you can control yourself. Right, But when you're in the heat of a conflict, the last person you're interested in con- controlling is yourself. yourself. Yeah, You're all too quick to point at the other person. Yeah, I would say a solution that I've seen some people try and do in, in conflict that's really, really dangerous but seems quote-unquote Christ-like is when one party absorbs their feelings for the sake of connectedness, right? So a husband and a wife, they have this argument, and the husband or the wife is just like, you know what, my feelings don't matter, I'm going to prioritize the relationship, and through some sense of weird, twisted way of thinking, they absorb how they're really, really feeling in an effort to keep connected. Mm -hmm. The reason that's insanity is you can only absorb those feelings for so long And then inevitably you'll end up blowing up over something stupid like, hey, honey, could you pass me the ketchup? You're like, get your own damn ketchup! And you're like, what's the problem with the ketchup? There isn't a problem with the ketchup. It's it's put up, put up, put up, put up, blow up. So the solution isn't to absorb feelings. It's to express what you're feeling in a really, really healthy way. It actually takes as much energy to hide and deny your feelings as it does to work through them. But typically, we've got more practice in hiding our feelings than we do working through them in a healthy way. Yes. There's also no chance that hiding your feelings is going to build intimacy, so you might as well spend the energy in connection or practice in connection. Right. It was funny, we were talking in the car on the way home, and we were saying, you know, what do you want to talk about the podcast? And, you know, we're throwing around some ideas. And I think you had mentioned that, you know, we didn't do a good job this week on resolving conflict. Yeah. And my response was, it wasn't our finest hour in conflict resolution. Mm-hmm. But actually, we resolved it. Mm-hmm. And we're getting better. Yeah. 
we're, I mean, this week was an anomaly. Normally, we're much, much better. Right. And the important thing to understand about conflict resolution is you only get to resolve conflict by practicing it. You can't read a book on it and become an expert. You just actually have to practice it. And the only way you practice things is be really, really bad and keep doing it until you get really, really good. So right. if you're listening to this thinking, oh my gosh, I wish I'd done this before, hey. Start now. Start now. Classes in session. Enroll now. Right. So back to what you were saying about hiding feelings doesn't build intimacy. Right. In fact, just the opposite, sharing feelings does build intimacy. So um, Dan Fairley taught us to use I statements that sound like, I feel when, so could we instead? Which makes no sense till you hear him give an example. <laughs> I thought initially that I statements were, I feel hurt when you're a stupid jerk. Yes. But apparently that's r- the wrong way to use the I statement. Well, who knew? <laughs> <laughs> give me an example of an I statement that would be healthy to use. So something like, I feel hurt and rejected when I ask for help and you don't respond quickly. So could we come up with a code word that ensures my needs are met? Right. So the basic elements of an I statement is I feel and then you have to have a feeling. The reason an I statement is so powerful is you are owning what you're feeling. Mm -hmm. You're not blaming the feeling on anybody else. You're taking full responsibility for how you're feeling. The when actually has to be a non-blaming observation of the problem from your perspective. So like you just said, I feel hurt and rejected when I ask you for help, but you don't respond as quickly as I'd like. Mm -hmm. So we would run into that one where we're like, well, I did it. And what I didn't realize was, and this was a code book issue, you meant one thing, I heard another. Yeah. You were like, hey, I need your help. And I was thinking, okay, it's clearly not an emergency, so I'll do it when I get around to it. But your point was, I never ask you for help unless I need it right now. Right. Which was confusing to me because I was like, sure, I, I can. I don't ask for help with a five or ten minute warning. I right. ask for help when I've arrived at the point where I now need help for me to keep going. Which was difficult for me to understand as a man who's in the middle of a task. Not that I'm blaming me being in the middle of a task on my gender, but my personality type is I'd like to finish the task I'm doing before I help you. So you would actually modify your, could you help me with? If it's possible, then I say, babe, when, you're, when you have a break in what you're doing or when you're finished with X, could you come and help me for a minute? But if I actually need you right at this second, like the pot's boiling over and I have a bum shoulder so I can't lift this, then I go... Hey, babe, sorry, I need you right now. Right. And what I learned, because that's where the, so I feel hurt and rejected when I ask for your help, but you don't come. Mm-hmm. And so you've given me a when to help me understand the problem, but then you've also invited me into helping provide a solution. So could we um, come up with a code word that ensures my needs are met? Mm-hmm. And you didn't just come up with a solution, we talked about it. Mm-hmm. Like we decoded the problem. Oh, I thought that, you know, and we we... Because the only way you could interpret my actions is you're a selfish jerk. Mm-hmm. Whereas the only way I interpreted my actions was it's not a big deal. I'll do it when I'm done. You know. So there was just we were missing each other. Yeah. And in all my the, head, I've asked for help three times, and in your head, it's not an emergency. It'll get done sometime today, kind of thing. Right. Basically, I'm communicating dishonor by mm-hmm. me not doing what you want, and then I'm feeling completely criticized and nagged because I'm not meeting your needs. And so it's just this classic example of meeting each other but using the I statements. And by the way, it sounds ludicrous. It sounds ridiculous. <laughs> and to be fair, 
I statements aren't that helpful in the heat of the moment. No. No, not at all. But it's a very, very useful tool to use later. <laughs> Correct? I'm just trying to imagine trying to draft one in the heat of the moment. <laughs> be like all caps. I feel like you could not be a more useless <laughs> lump if you tried. Okay, that's not an I statement. <laughs> okay, well then I. <laughs> so that's an I statement. I feel when, so could we instead. It's the, here's my feelings, here's when it happens with a non-blaming description of the problem. Mm -hmm. And so could we, here's an, an opportunity to invite a solution. Mm -hmm. Give me some of the most common ungodly beliefs that run through our heads when we're approaching conflict resolution. Um, well, they can be stuff like, well, I've tried to communicate this a thousand times before and it won't make any difference. Which is called a negative confession. Right. And you're just declaring the future. Or stuff like nothing will ever change. I won't ever be understood. How I feel doesn't matter. Right, which is basically absorbing feelings. Right. You have to push past those things in order to prioritize the connectedness. Right. It's so difficult because they're very, very common lies and the trouble is, if we have a pattern of believing those lies, we have a pattern of empowering the liar that speaks those lies. Yeah. But the truth is, connectedness is worth the risk of rejection. Yes. Any other thoughts on conflict? I, I like the I statement. I just think one of the conflict resolution um, methods that I've also used before is that whole thing of um, the five minute rule. I used to use that even if there was like, you know, in our small group or whatever, if two people were having a conflict, I'd sort of help them moderate that with the five minute rule, which was basically one person gets to talk for five minutes and the other person has to listen. And then all they do is echo back what they heard. So they're not answering it. They're not defending themselves. They're just echoing back. So when I did this, you, you know, felt X, blah, blah, blah. Yes. Well, now that person gets their five minutes, the other person echoes back. And usually by the time that they've both gone, you're able to go, oh, I see where we missed each other and, and reestablish a connection. So sometimes if if the I statement doesn't seem to have gotten you there, you could do the five minute um, rule and you know put a little bit more time in, right. obviously. But um, I think sometimes you need that more than just yeah. one or two statements. I think whatever tool you use, if you're choosing to step forward to build relationship, to overcome conflict, then it's a, a good choice. Yeah, it's a great choice. Mm -hmm. And it's a vulnerable choice, which is meekness. Mm -hmm. And God is so drawn to humility. I remember Jeff Dollar gave us this advice, which I think is priceless. And he said, when it comes to arguments, he who apologizes first wins. I just this other thought is I think in conflict, it's important that you don't demand that the person you're in conflict with has matching skills. So, for example, I would say that you are very, very, very good at forgiving me. Mm -hmm. Like, you have a huge capacity to just process offline with the Lord and extend forgiveness. Yeah. I would say I don't have that skill. Right, and you are much better at apologizing first than I am. And I think possibly where we get tripped up is 
you may be thinking, well, why don't you just forgive and move on? And yeah. I'm thinking, why don't you just come and apologize? But what I'm doing here is I'm demanding that you process the way I process, which is ludicrous. It gives you no freedom to be you. Right. We should write a book on this stuff. <laughs> you know what? We don't need to write a book because somebody else wrote a book and it was amazing. Danny Silks, yes. Keep Your Love On. If you haven't read that book, we highly recommend it. It's an excellent book. And it really draws out the truth of prioritizing connection with your loved ones over everything else, helping you overcome conflict with love. A great tool to go along with that is our boundaries teaching. We have a three-part teaching available on our website. You can download that today in MP3 format that helps you, especially if you've been in uh, broken relationships, helps you understand where you end and another person begins. Right? It helps you understand your responsibility in relationships. But we'd encourage you to get Danny's book, certainly, and pick up our boundaries teaching as well. It'll be really, really helpful for you as you're growing and understanding how you can use these new tools to resolve conflict. AJ Jones? Yes. I love you very much. I love you too, Pete. And I apologize for being an enormous poop head. You are forgiven. Thank you. Is there anything you want to say to me? <laughs> no, I already did that internally. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you ready for a listener's question, which is astonishing? I don't understand this question. It's so long. I'll read it to you. Okay. This, I'm going to keep this anonymous. The question is I have a family member who comes over every weekend with their two children, ages two and five. And they are children, so they make messes, they get hungry, and do stuff that children do. The parent, however, sleeps all day or completely ignores us when we try to wake her up and just sits on the couch. She does not pick up after her children or care for her children even while they're here. Everyone else either pitches in or leaves. And if they leave, the children don't get taken care of. We've tried not doing anything and waiting for her to step up and do something, but the children get neglected. We've tried helping her by telling her what to do and giving her advice. Her responses go from two different extremes, from being completely compliant and agreeable, but with no follow-through, or playing the victim and throwing herself into a hyperventilative panic attack. When she comes, everyone in the house feels disrespected. Our stress level immediately goes up when this family walks through the door, which is sad because she's family and our job is to love her. We've tried setting boundaries, which she ignores or goes into the horrible self-pity route and tells everyone how horrible of a family we are. We want to have some type of intervention where we sit her down and tell how she's affecting herself, as well as the rest of the family, and uh, that we won't put up with it anymore, but we are willing to help her grow. Her lack of care about everything has resulted in her children ending up in the hospital multiple times each and she still hasn't learned anything from it. And this worries us. We're sick of picking up after her and her kids every single week. We're ready for her to grow up. She wasn't taught to be how she is. She was taught the complete opposite and has a wonderful mother as an example. I know this sounds ridiculous, but how do you call out her identity as a wife and a mom instead of calling out the sin? Do you have any advice or wisdom on how you would deal with this? Do you think sitting her down and having an intervention with the family would actually do anything? She's 25 years old and we're all out of ideas. 
My responder almost completely dies when I'm around her. Sorry for so lengthy, but we're a bit overwhelmed. Thank you. I'm so sorry. That sounds like a gargantuan of a nightmare of a problem. I, th- I think it's hard to give advice to that kind of question because there's so many other things that would need to be known. Like, right. for example, is she addicted to anything? Right. Um, you know, there's if if you're talking about two kids that grew up in the same home and one of them seems to go completely off the rails, then there's definitely something missing from their experience with the Lord. Right. Like something has happened, whether you're aware of it or not. I think the first protocol would be to call child services. If the children are neglected, and yeah, you said the that they are, are danger, yeah. and they've been hospitalized, then the priority is the children. The secondary concern is, is I think it's your sister, you said. So I would probably call child services because your sister needs to understand the consequences of her actions. Now, you're not doing that out of a punitive step. You're doing that out of care and well-being for your uh, nephew and nieces. And then I think probably that would be you're not doing that so it's a wake-up call, but one of the side effects of that would hopefully would be a, a wake-up call. And then you can start addressing the, this, the situation that this woman finds herself in and what is causing uh, her inability to parent. Maybe she's feeling overwhelmed. I have no idea. Again, without knowing the situation, without knowing the family, without knowing the, the particulars of the situation. But my wisdom would be to prioritize the health and the well-being of the children. What's your experiences with interventions in family, AJ? Do they work? Um, well, they did for us. Right. Uh, but again, we were none of us were younger kids uh, when the interventions, when we did the interventions. But right, both but of so, them did work. Okay, but she's a 25-year-old woman. Again, without knowing her, her personality type, what's actually going on, it's right. hard to say whether an intervention would work. Well, and it's the thing. The thing with an intervention is there's there's always a um, ultimatum to an intervention, right? So there's always uh, well, here's what's going on. This is how it's affecting us. This is what's not going to happen anymore. And if it does happen, we all walk, right? So the problem with that is that leaves two children with somebody who's apparently not capable of their care. My only concern is I don't know. Uh, I don't know what child services is like either. I don't know that. I don't know did the children necessarily get better care or not because I don't know how it works here. Right. So I don't know if there's a family member option or anything like that. But but yeah, I mean maybe do some research and um, talk to the rest of your family and figure out. Gosh, do we want to do this? Do we want to do an intervention? Because if you don't have an ultimatum or um, something that is the consequence of things not changing there's virtually no point. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, that's an extreme example, and I feel woefully ill-equipped to give you any wisdom, aside from the practical step that, as AJ points out, may not be ideal. Yeah. I mean, why don't you chat with your local pastor too, like somebody who knows you or knows your family, and, right. you know, and get their input or get their involvement. Um because they're really going to be able to assess the situation locally better than we can with a, a question over the internet kind of thing. Brilliant. I think that situation's pretty, uh, pretty important. Yeah. If you have any questions you'd like to ask us, specifically about conflict from this episode, head over to alanandaj.com 
slash ask. You're free to ask us any question you'd like, and if we can answer it, we'll, we'll do so on the air. But if you have any particular questions about anything we shared about this week or last week, we'd love to hear from you. If you'd like the show notes from this episode, go to alanandaj.com slash 62, and have an incredible week.